So thank you for the intro, Temples. Um, it is really an honor to be preaching this morning to you guys, um, as I shared with the last service. Um, I've been to a few churches throughout my life, and this is really a place <clears throat> where the the truth is welcomed, the unfiltered truth. There is no agenda here other than making Christ known and, and his, his purposes. So the beautiful thing, as Daryl prayed, is we can allow the Holy Spirit to speak these things to us. So if there's anything that you're like, Ugh, like I feel this, you know, a little bubbling in my chest and it's not a happy thing, um, I encourage you, take notes. Don't just be passive and then, uh, you know, you kind of put it under the carpet because it will come up in bad ways later, I can pretty much guarantee you. So just make notes and go, go have your own quiet time later and ask God what, what he's trying to speak. Um, we're not perfect. We're trying to pre- present it in the best way that we can, but know that we, our wording might not be perfect all the time, but the truth behind it is still true. Um, and let the Holy Spirit um, speak that to you. Um, so my prayer is that we would be a Proverbs 3-5 people, that we trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and we lean not on our own understanding. So if your understanding is not congruent with the word of God, that's time to pray, time to ask, and he will reveal. And that, that is my testimony. And part of the reason why I'm excited to actually speak, um, st- we still haven't shared what we're speaking on. I forget because the first service knows now. Um, but anyway, what we're going to be speaking on is spiritual authority. Um, and some of you guys, there's this, you know, kind of feel right now. And other ones are like, yeah, this stuff is great. There's spiritual blessing in it. Um, and I want to share that I've been on both sides of the spectrum. Um, I think my, my aversion to that phrase was fairly mild. But I, if I was honest with myself when I was in college, there were certain topics. I will not open up the other cans of worms. But um, this one in particular, spiritual authority, was something that I would kind of be like, all right, Ephesians 5, wives submit to your husbands. But, you know, I'm a strong, independent woman. What does that mean? You know? So, and there is this place where I know that I know that I know that Jesus loves women. So where, where does this all fit in? Um, and spiritual authority is a very um, complex subject. So we're going to only touch on some things. Um, I was telling Pastor Daryl that we could probably have 15 sermons on this. Um, so we only have one right now. <laughs> um, but anyway, just to realize that it's not in full, um, but it's just a little bit that we think God wants us to share with you guys today. Does that sound okay? Um, and again, just to bring you to the other side, I was in college, you know, kind of like, all right, God, I know you're going to bring understanding to this. So I talked to a woman that was discipling me. She was married. Um, so she can understand the, the household submission. And, um, I prayed a lot about it. And honestly, I, I go into an environment and I, I kind of subconsciously think, okay, who is over me right now? I go into the house of prayer and I'm kind of like, all right, even if that person is in my small group, they are, they have the stage, you know, they, they are leading small, they are leading the prayer set. So even if I would pick a different prayer subject, I'm going to choose to submit to the spiritual authority that's in that room. Um, and you know, certainly if something was said, that's maybe not biblical, you know, later in a very humble way, I can say, Hey, let's look at that scripture again. Like, what does that mean? But I'm not going to take over the prayer set and be like, actually, let's turn to Isaiah, you know? So there, there's really this blessing um, in, and I don't know, it's just so freeing. One of the books we actually were reading, or I read before on spiritual authority, is called True Freedom. Because if we really understand it, we can experience true freedom. Um, and just a quick spoilers, Will's going to get into a little bit about how this nation it really struggles with this, so therefore our cultural context makes it challenging. Um, and we, we say we value freedom, but we're a pretty... Um, in, what's not enslaved? What's the word? We're pretty... Um, I don't know. We, we have a lot of burdens. There's a lot of burdens in this nation right now. We say we're all for freedom, but because of places where we don't align with God, there's a place where we're actually internally, I still can't come up with the word, but we're not free. Well, like, internally. In bondage. That's the word. In bondage. Thank you. There's a word and it wasn't coming. Um, so anyway, um, I just encourage you to go on this journey with us and to come with open hearts, write notes of something. Pay attention. Emotions are from the Lord to show that something is, like, not consistent. You know, you might be hearing something, and it doesn't go with your core belief system, so then you get an emotion. You might get angry. You might shut down. Like, just just make a note of it. Really do it. Be engaged, and then get involved this week. Um, so go ahead, Will. Oh, I guess it's got to get on it. If you could just give me a little more volume on this. Um, 
Yeah, it's a good thing to pay attention to is, you know, the, the reactions that we have and the emotions that we have because when it comes to God, those things are very telling. Those things will tell us a lot about ourselves. So, so I'm not going to do that, but God, I just ask that you would help us. I just thought I wasn't going to do it. I just lied. This is a terrible start to a message. Dear Lord. Well, I'm going to pray now, now that you know. God, help us to, um, to have open hearts and minds as we talk about this. God, I just ask that we wouldn't be blind to the importance of it and to where we're at. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, um, this, is, this is a hugely important topic. Like, you know, Amy was saying, this is personal to her. This is personal to me. You know, like, I've, I would say I've struggled with this quite a bit and wrestled with God over it and experienced fruit in my life from it that is really, for me, it's extremely real. It's not fake. I've not made it up. I've not just come under the man. I've actually, like, that's not what this is about. Sort of is, but it's not. But what it is, what it is about is learning how to relate to God and how to relate to those that God's put in your life. And it's a big deal. let Let me tell you how big of a deal it is. It is God. You think about it. Who is God? He's the ultimate authority. If he's not that, what is he? In the universe, God is the ultimate authority. And from there, he delegates, he gives authority to whom he will. And there's a system of authority that works. And it's hugely central to his value system. And if we care about knowing God, we need to care about this. We need to know God in this aspect as well. So, let's get into the scripture real quick. Um, Isaiah 14, 12. Let's turn there. Uh, I'll give you guys a minute for that. But basically, uh, as, I, as we do that, I'm just tell you, like, this is, yeah, this is so important. Like, I just feel like this is such an important message for our generation especially and our culture as a whole. Um, and I feel like we are quite blind to this issue and um, that it's really, it's really been a, almost a cancer to our society and to us. And we don't know the, the ramifications. It's one of those things where I feel like it's caused us to buck against the very thing that was meant to help us. And it's really, we were created to understand and operate in. So let's look at this, Isaiah 14, 12. What this scripture is doing is basically Isaiah is, he's prophesying the demise of a king who's rebellious and ungodly and wicked. But he switches in the middle of the prophecy and he talks, basically he starts talking about Lucifer, the son of the morning. And you see in this brief window, a vivid picture of that original conflict. So, you look at verse 12. How you were fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you were cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. We may have, yeah, oh, that's, you got New King James Version. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you, AJ. Um, for you've said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. The original conflict stemming from rebellion, which came from pride. He had pride. He exalted himself in his mind and exalted himself above God. Such an incredible picture of like where so much of our conflict here on earth comes from, leading to the original sin of Adam and Eve. Let's go to Hebrews thirteen seventeen for a little New Testament context. All I'm trying to do here is build a quick foundation of understanding so that we know what authority really is in God's eyes and in, in the eyes of the Bible. This is our authority, right? When we talk about an authority. Look at the, the, the dictionary definition of an authority. The Bible is an authority. It is our authority for understanding God. And if this is not our authority, you're lost, man. You are out at sea. And I encourage you to thoroughly question that belief. If you don't think that this is the inerrant word of God that we're to live our lives by, come talk to me. Because like this is, there's no way you can be a Christian without doing that. There's no combination of other beliefs. There's no combination of our cultural beliefs and, cult and value systems that works alongside this, but yet contradicting it. That doesn't exist. 
And so every place in our life where, we, where we're doing that, it is imperative that we question it. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. This is like a summation of some more... There's so many more verses we had to cut out, like I would say four-fifths of them, of um, just for the sake of time, the ones that were foundational for this understanding. But this is kind of a summary of the New Testament understanding. If you read through the words of Paul and the way that authority is represented, the authority of the church is represented in the New Testament, this kind of sums it up. When we talk about submitting to authority, we're not submitting to a person... We are submitting to the authority that God has placed upon that person. It's a big difference. That's where we buck against so much as people, as a society. We, we look at people and we're like, they're imperfect. They're, doing, they're making wrong decisions. How could they be hearing God? How could this person be appointed by God? But the fact is, it's not a person. There is no such thing as a perfect leader. There's no such thing as a perfect person. So therefore, there is nothing, what it really comes down to, if there is no perfect person, and we're going to question authority, that only is rebellion. The place of questioning that authority, can, well, basically God is the only person that can change that authority, not us. And it's up to us to pray for our leaders, as we're commended in the New Testament, and it's up to us to bring it before God. But basically, David, Amy's going to get into David and Saul, but... Saul had deep character flaws, yet David submitted to him because he was still king. And God exalts him and gives him the anointing and honestly honors him in such a profound sense that this is the man who's after God's heart. Why is that? I bet there's a reason. Amy, we'll get into that. More importantly, in the very heart of God himself, in the Trinity, we see submission in the person of Jesus. This is Christology, right? So he's the son of God. And the father is over him in the very person of God himself. The three-part person of God. So we see the perfect harmony operating in God himself through submission. That's profound. Jesus says, I do nothing unless I see my father doing it. John 5, 19. Not my will, but your will be done. In the garden of Gethsemane. That's submission. Jesus did not, in that moment, his emotions wanted to do something else. But he succeeded because he submitted to God. That's profound. He's prophesied by Isaiah as the Prince of Peace. That title almost suggests he is in submission to the true king. He is a king, but he's in submission to the Father, and that's where he gets his authority from. And we're to be like Jesus. He is our example. So that's basically kind of, oh yeah, yeah, that was it. Amy, uh, David and Saul. Great. She's going to share with us a little bit about that. So um, I'm so grateful that God has given us an example on how to submit to highly, highly, highly imperfect people. Um, it's, you know, and what's kind of cool, too, I was telling the first service, um, I, I highly recommend, if any of this is resonating, and I hope it resonates with everyone, even if you value it, there's still a part where you're like, well, I could submit to them, but this person is really where our personalities just really clash. They really rub me the wrong way, whatever. Um, but I, I, so chances are all of us should do this, but I, I recommend that you, you read through the book of 1 Samuel. Super readable. Um, it's, it's all stories. And, and these are great examples that God is giving for us, but they are, they were real people. You know, it's not just this allegory. Like this really happened. Um, and in the way of storytelling, as I share these things, really kind of imagine what that would look like today. Obviously it's a different time, but like, oh my word, you know, the things that went on with Saul is abominable. And yet he was still king, like, like Will shared. Um, so in general, um, the story of David and Saul is a great example of how God opposes the proud and exalts the humble. And what's interesting is I think a lot of times, too, God allows these circumstances to happen for the sake of testing. So what that means is you can disqualify yourself if you do not respond appropriately. And we should receive that word with fear and trembling. 
for anyone who ever has any level of even godly aspiration. It's okay to have godly aspiration in the sense that, well, I have this prophetic word over my life that I'm going to be a leader, but, I, but the thought of taking it into your own hands versus trusting the Lord to exalt you. You you better believe that there's going to be a time of testing, especially if you're called onto higher leadership. Um, And it's not like, you know, you look at it and you're kind of like, God, couldn't you just have prevented that? And there's a place where God probably very purposely does not prevent it because you are being tested. So, So just realize that to take those experiences with joy, because if it's a really strong testing you might have a higher leadership calling if you pass. So take it with, with joy when those things happen. Um, so let's go. I'll, I'll just read this. You don't have to turn to this. But, um, but Saul did start out well. He really did. He, I mean, I guess in the kingly sense, he looked good. He was head and shoulders above everyone else. Um, and, and God spoke through the prophet Samuel at that time. And scripture tells us that Samuel had accurate word of the Lord. Like he regularly delivered accurate prophetic words. Um, And in 1 Samuel 9, uh, verse 20, Samuel says, you, Saul, and your family are the focus of all Israel's hopes. Now, that's not because Samuel heard God wrong. That was God's intention, was to, uh, to have Saul be the focus of Israel's hope. But again, he still had to pass this time of testing. Um, So he became king at age at age 30, and then he ended up reigning for 42 years. And unfortunately for Saul, um, they were very tumultuous, 42 years. And it had a really specific point where there was this switch, where he was doing well, and then it really began to unravel, but it was seemingly small, and then led onto mass murder. Like, we're talking like, you know, you can look at him, you're like, well, you know, Saul murdered people. I'm not murdering people. But it began with a small, small thing. And just a quick, quick aside, I wasn't planning on bringing this up, came up in the first service, but you know, we look at the depravity of mankind and we look at people such as the Las Vegas shooter and the media, and as far as I know, as of a, about a month ago, um, police officers, the CIA, people do not understand why this man became so depraved. There were no warning signs. I don't think he was looking at extremist social media. He has like a fairly tame criminal record. So how is it that people can have this massive turn? And again, this should put the fear of God within us, that we all need Jesus and not just Jesus, I need Jesus, but you need to go into the dark places of your life and acknowledge where there's pride because it's in all of us. I still have pride in me. God has done a lot, but there's still times where I'm like, I feel that bubble up. Okay, Lord, help me. Like, And not just quell it, but allow it to actually be healed. Um, or, or, or repent, as Will will talk about. There's a place of repentance, and then that goes away. It's healed. It's dealt with. Um, so anyway, this is just something. All of us have a dark side. Don't worry. You don't have to admit it to anyone. I'll admit it for you. <laughs> Everyone has a dark side. Everyone does. This is what makes Christianity so unique. We need Jesus. We are ugly internally without Jesus. And that is how you can know that Christianity and Jesus is the way. And there's no other way. Because that's the only way that we can be transformed internally. Um, so anyway, a little precursor. Let's go to 1 Samuel 13. And we'll look at his disqualification. Um, so this was his testing. Um, the Israelites were at war with the Philistines. And Saul was already king. So starting in verse 7. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, Samuel the prophet, as Samuel had instructed him earlier. But Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. So he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Gasp. Saul is not a priest. That is bad. Anyone who knows the Old Testament, that is really, 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 really bad. And not just because God is rule crazy. There's actually crazy spiritual implications. But God doesn't owe Saul an explanation. He just, that is not okay. And he broke that rule. Okay, so moving on to 10. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet and welcome him. But Samuel Samuel said, what is this you have done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would, and the Philistines are at Michmash ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. 
So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. How foolish, Samuel explained. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the testing, had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So this is so interesting. It's not like King Saul suddenly went mutiny and then joined the Philistines. He was doing things for the Lord, but he felt compelled to do it his way. And my guess is Samuel was probably on his way, and then God said, actually, why don't you get a, you know, a soda at that oak tree over there at the, at the, you know, the vending machine. (laughs) So there was probably, I mean, we don't, we're not given the understanding, but there's a, Samuel was really tight with God. There was probably this place where God was like, eh, actually delay a little. And that was probably his testing. Um, But interestingly for David, Saul was still king. So it's interesting. He's disqualified, but he's still king. Um, now there's another, if we move on to chapter 15, I'm going to move a little quicker through these parts. Um, chapter 15 talks about Saul's direct disobedience. Remember, I told you guys that it was a small start that we're starting to see pride with him knowing that him saying that he knows better. Um, so we're starting to see it, but then we see in chapter 15, the context is Samuel says to Saul, um, that, I'm just trying to paraphrase this a little bit. I've decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Now, let's put aside the whole warfare side. I know that's like a whole other can of worms. But the word is to completely destroy. Okay. Now we look at verse 9, what Saul decided to do. So Saul and his men spared Agog's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. Hmm. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Um, so now this, I, I encourage you, verses 10 through 23 is really, really powerful. Um, I probably shouldn't read all of it just for time's sake. Um, but in verse 13... It says, when Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's command. And then Samuel says, "Uh, then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle I hear? It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, but they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We're doing this unto the Lord. Again, it's not like they went mutiny and joined the Philistines. He's operating for the Lord, his God. Now, looking at verse 20, um, let's see. But uh, he thinks he obeyed the Lord, whether he's lying to himself or he's lying to Samuel. Um, But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me, his interpretation of the mission. Notice, I brought back King Agag, not what he asked for, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt sacrifices and offerings or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Now, now the real kicker, and I will not drop this microphone because it costs money. (laughs) Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So I was saying to the first service, my guess is none of you guys are engaging in witchcraft. If you are, there's maybe one person. I don't know. If you are, let's talk after service. We'll pray. We'll get deliverance, all that good stuff. But it's kind of laughable because we think like, well, witchcraft, you know, I don't get my palm read, you know, I don't cast spells in Salem during Halloween, you know, I'm, I'm good. But word of the Lord. It says rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. So we need to take rebellion seriously. Seriously. Even in midst, even while we're in this American cultural context. We love America, but Will's going to get into where we're deceived in our, in our nation's history. Um, 
So <laughs> other important side notes. We're talking about like the character flaws that are starting to emerge. Again, we all have flaws, but there's a, is, he, is the person repenting and is the person trying to get free, right? Um, and we don't see any instance of repentance from, from King Saul. We see in verse 12 that he um, could not be found at one point because he was setting up a monument to himself. So there seems to be, that is, that is there. You can check it, your own Bibles. So there's a little, little bit of pride. It's like, where's Saul? Oh yeah, he's setting up a monument for himself. Okay, pride, 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 pride. Um, and another important note is partial obedience is still disobedience. That is the enemy's biggest tactic against us. Not a lot of people go around and say, oh, I'm going to join the church of Satan. You know, because it's like a really obvious, like, well, yeah, no, 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 you don't do that. But partial obedience is so blinding because you're like, well, I took matters into my own hand. I felt compelled as King Saul did. And then I did this thing. So anyway, beware of partial obedience. Um, Moving right along to David. Um, Will will get a little more into David, but we know that he is the youngest brother. um, And he's known as the ready-faced shepherd boy. He becomes anointed as king after his older and seemingly more appropriate brothers were bypassed by the prophet Samuel. It was David, that the, the one that um, the Lord chose. So at this point, David defeats Goliath. He really trusts God. Even King Saul, who's head and shoulders above everyone else, is too scared to fight the nine-foot-tall giant. I would be scared, but I guess I'm not a warrior king, so maybe I, maybe I can be bypassed. I'm not sure. But, um, but we start to see David having military success. He really trusts God. And the Israelite women begin singing in chapter 18, verse 7. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Introduce jealousy. So we have pride and now we have jealousy. Um, he also lacks trust in God. He wasn't willing to fight Goliath. David did it, not, not King Saul. Um, now we start to see this unraveling. And Saul begins to attempt the murder of David. He throws a spear at him. Twice is, is recorded in the Bible. Might be more than that. Um, he has a massive temper. He's always conniving and he's lying, trying to sway people to his side. He says, "Oh, David did this," and he really didn't. If you look back at, at the previous chapter, that is not what happened. So he was lying to sway people to his side rather than trusting God. Um, so, and then it really culminates in chapter twenty-two when Saul order, orders the murder of eighty-five priests for helping David. And it all began with pride and partial obedience. He was, he, was on a set for, he was on track for being a good king. That should put fear of God in all of our hearts. We don't stay in fear, but that drives us into his presence to, to deal with the dark within all of us. Um, okay, moving on. Um, so we see on two occasions that David spares Saul's life. I've already established, I think, scripture makes it very clear that Saul was very morally depraved and did all of these incredible, incredible atrocities. Um, so on one occasion, when David is with his men and he's always being chased and hiding from Saul, but Saul is found to be vulnerable. So chapter 24, starting in verse 4. Now is your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with you as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to these men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them king let them kill Saul. So note too, again, it's the anointing. He fears the anointing that is on this person. Um, So there's really this fear of the Lord on David's life. Um, Now let's see. I will speed this up. Um, There's um, Watchman Nee is an amazing missionary and writer on spiritual authority. He, I think was a missionary in China um, at the turn of the, into the 1900s. If you want to know more about this, it's, this is a great book. Um, it's called Spiritual Authority. Very aptly titled. Um, okay, here we go. So the, this is a quote from, from me. The men of David suggested to him that he should kill Saul, but David resisted the temptation, for he dared not raise his hand against authority. 
So far as the throne was concerned, was it not that David was anointed by God? And since he was standing directly in the plan of willing God, could anyone forbid him from being king? Why then should David not help himself to be king? Would it not be a good move to help God accomplish his will? Yet David strongly felt he could not kill Saul. To do so would be to rebel against God's authority, since the anointing of the Lord was still on Saul. Though Saul was rejected, he was nonetheless God's anointed, one set up by God. Were Saul to be killed at that moment, David could immediately ascend to the throne, and the will of God need not be delayed for many years. Wow. But David was a man who knew how to deny himself. He would rather delay his own ascension than be a rebellious person. That is why he finally became God's delegated authority. David passed the test. That's the difference between David and Saul, is this testing. Um, And another quick, quick thing is that David's spiritual sense was as keen as of the New Testament believers. Today, we should not merely condemn killing. Even a smaller action, such as cutting off of another skirt with a small knife, is to be condemned, for it, too, is rebellion. Backbiting or bad manners or inward resistance may not be classified as killing, yet they certainly constitute the same as cutting off the skirt. They all originate from a rebellious spirit. Holy smokes. I'm feeling convicted. Is anyone else feeling convicted up in here? <laughs> Again, this is, I'm preaching myself, so I know we're all, all in the same boat in some shape. Um, and just final thing. After Saul dies, we see in 2 Samuel, the beginning of 2 Samuel, um, David's response to hearing about Saul, Saul's death. Would you believe, those of you who are not so caught up with that story, would you believe that David wrote a song to honor not just his friend Jonathan, but to honor Saul. Saul, who had been constantly hunting him. He literally says, how beloved and gracious, this is verse 23, how beloved and gracious were Saul and Jonathan. They were together in life and death. They were swifter than eagles, stronger than lions. O women of Israel, weep for Saul, for he dressed you in luxurious scarlet clothing and garments decorated with gold. So he found something that he could praise Saul about. He was generous with his clothing. You know, so he's choosing to remember the good and not comment on the bad. Anyway, I've spoken for long enough. On to you. Uh, that is awesome. There's so much there. It's just phenomenal. Um, yeah, kind of fast-forwarding a couple millennia here into our current culture. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of, I, w- I want to kind of bring this maybe to our context culturally of all of this um, because, you know, like what Amy just shared, you see the value God places and the importance God places upon doing things God's way. It's not to be trifled with. Like, that test was so important. And we look today, and I think we have a similar test in front of us um, on a regular basis. Um, but looking at our culture, it's really interesting. Like, If you look back to the founding of this nation, this is, we're, I just want to say, I'm grateful for this nation. We are grateful for everything that was sacrificed and done for us. Like This is undeniable. But even despite the best efforts of our founding fathers to separate from Britain, in a peaceful way, like it still resulted in a war. It still resulted in violence. It resulted in re- it had to be done in rebellion. And the people that were not so pure of heart engaged in rebellion in a way that's marked our society heavily. And some of you may not, you know, be from this country, but if you are, like this is our context. This is what we are living in. We have got to be aware of it. It is so important for us to know what's affecting us and influencing us. If you look back at it, you know, we basically became an independent people that valued independence and rebellion. And that now is just, it's part of the very center of our culture. One of the things we hate most is someone telling us what to do. Have you ever had somebody tell you what to do and you just buck back and you go, no, that is... Not what I'm about. I know better than you, and I'm not gonna. I'm gonna do it my way. That's, that's 
how we live our lives as Americans. Like, that Frank Sinatra song, that is one of the most atrocious songs in It really sums a lot of things up, doesn't it? We love doing things our way. We love it. It feels great. It does. Our souls just are like, yes, this is me. You know, it's your, it is. It's pride. It's pride. It comes back to the original fall of Lucifer himself, like we talked about. That pride that just saw, you know, there's a big difference between having vision and, like Amy said, a word from God. You, you know, can you imagine? Oh, this is the thing that was sparking in my head while she was talking. Can you imagine delaying the ascension to a throne of Israel? Knowing, you imagine, David's not just thinking about himself, right? You can think very lofty thoughts about why you would supplant authority. He had every reason in the world. This, this is the nation chosen by God to basically be the, the example to the entire human race. This is a big deal. And he's allowing it. This king is, by the way, not even doing anything profitable. He's just chasing David around the desert. So, like, he's not only mismanaging his kingdom, he's not even actively paying attention to his kingdom. Like, David had every reason to just listen to his men who were giving him the word of the Lord. You notice how they said that God has given him into your hands today? We hear pretty easily from God sometimes when it's not really God. We really do. And that has everything to do with the prophetic. That's one of the 15 sermons that we'd love to give about this. Um, But we'll just leave it there. Um, They have not been approved, don't worry. (laughs) You have to run it by um, compliance and legal here. Um, So, anyway, the sexual revolution of the 60s, I want to take a look at that, even though I'm not really citing my sources here this morning, and I apologize for that. But it should be obvious, there was a revolution. We rebelled against the sexual mores of our forefathers. And we said, no, we're going to do it our way. And free love and free sex became the mantra of a generation. And along with that, the, the rebellion of Berkeley, um, at Berkeley, California, um, the whole free speech movement originated with the mantra, question authority. That is what the rebellion of the 60s was about. And that has shaped our culture incredibly. It's made an indelible mark upon our entire generation and generations, you know, I would say like two or three generations back, our parents' generation. It's basically now been passed down from father and mother to son and daughter as a value. And not only that, but those families are broken. Because of the sexual revolution, divorce is rampant. I bet a lot of us in this room have been affected by this. The generation before the 60s was not this way. Things, we, we look around us and we think that this has always been this way. It is not. It's a result of rebellion. And if you, if you look back into history, a very recent history, that there is things that have really shaped the way that we live our lives and, the, and our families. So... This value of rebellion getting passed down is just table stakes for a family. Not only is it being passed down from generation to generation, but those families are broken. There is divorce. Even if those kids knew what a dad was, they wouldn't be able to relate to him. There's such a broken understanding of what a father is in our culture as a result of that rebellion. There's so much good stuff in this book by Stephen Fry, this uh, True Freedom book. Um, it looks like this. I don't know if we have it. Do we have it in the bookstore? No, not yet. We, we may need to get this in the bookstore. It's a really great book. But um, it, it goes into some of the things. Basically, uh, Stephen Fry talks about how in you know, Proverbs 22-28, it says, Do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your forefathers. Basically, it might have seemed like back then land was marked by a stone. And it's so easy just to move it a little bit. Who cares? That stone was made as a cultural contract. And those things actually meant something back then. That was how, if if you moved that stone, you didn't just expand your territory, so to speak. It's like not a big deal. It's just a few feet. And you could, I bet you, you know, you could do that just every couple months. Over the course of years, you have more land. You steal your neighbor's land. Like, 
That sounds easy. But that basically struck at the very core of society. That stone represented the contract of society. And we invite a curse upon ourselves when we do what happened in the 60s. We are a cursed generation. And we don't even know what's happening. We don't know what's wrong with us. So many of us are struggling, grasping, groping for identity. And we don't know why we can't find it. We're a generation that's lost. We don't even understand who we are. Because how could you understand who you are if God created it so that you'd relate to your parents, your father, those above you, those placed in authority over you? That's how you know who you are. There used to be this thing called a rite of passage. We don't really have those anymore. But it was where a father and a mother, like Jewish culture has this, they have bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. That's where basically it's like, yeah, you're an adult now. We're just our own people now. It's like we just popped out of nowhere and just exist. And that's the way that we live our lives. So many of us go to and fro from thing to thing, not even knowing who we are because of this reason. I have to bring this home soon. But sexual revolution, rebellion of the 60s. If you want, um, if you're questioning, like, ah, you're kind of coming up with this. The only proof I really need to point to and it sounds vapid, but it's not, is TV shows and movies. That's a great example of really where we're at generally as a culture. And look at how fathers are represented. Look at a dad. Almost without exception, the dad is the butt of the joke, a bumbling idiot who can do nothing right, and is disrespected by his children, if he's even married. That's horrible. That's our example. We watch these things. We laugh at sitcoms, which may be funny or not. But we laugh at them, not realizing that as we laugh with it, we agree with it. That is sad. That's devastating to our psyches. We don't understand what's happening where an example is being put in front of us, continuating brokenness. So we're more affected by this than we think. Unless we're actively fighting against this, our culture... Is, warp, is warping our perspective of God and of leaders. And as a church, we're not exempt from this. Hilltop is not exempt from this. I just want to say today, this is not a hilltop message. This is not me up here. Like, I'm not even the lead pastor, guys. Like This is just a value of mine, and it's something, honestly, came on Amy's heart to share, and we decided, hey, let's both share it, um, just because it was on both of our hearts. But this is not a hilltop thing of just like, oh yeah, toe the line. This is not what this is about at all. This is about a kingdom culture. It's not a, it's not a hilltop thing, guys. It's a kingdom thing. This is a God's ways type of thing. And if we care about our life in God, if we care about truly being Christians, if we really call ourselves Christians, this is what we have to struggle and wrestle with. And there's huge freedom and healing, which I'm going to get to in a second. When we... Let me just ask you this. Have you ever had like a, a wound... That's just been open. Actually, um, I've had several on my hands recently. And now I think about it. It's amazing how quickly wounds reopen on your hands. Because you have to use them. Um, but like you touch, a, you touch a wound and it's like, ah. You know, it's like this open flesh. It's just, somebody just barely touches that part that you just try to keep hidden. And you just go, ah. That's, that's sensitive. But we lash out at leaders. We lash out at parents. Because... We have these open wounds against authority. And when we have a visceral reaction and we feel instantly unsafe when we're presented with any kind of authority, we need to pay attention. We need to pay attention to what our emotions are telling us. They're revealing our hearts. They reveal, I forget who said it, but your emotions reveal what you really believe. They'll tell you everything about what you really believe. What happens when we do that? What happens when we recognize this reaction? Disdain and fear. Immediately, just viscerally, when we encounter authority. We're Christians, right? We go to the word of God. We don't go to our friends. We don't go to our own selves. We don't go to social media for some sort of text on an image to tell you about how to be an independent person, an independent thinker. If you're a Christian, go to the Word of God. This is where we wrestle and we read Scripture verses and you vet them. You don't just stick one out of context and 
live your life based on that, read the whole Bible. If you haven't done that, I strongly recommend it. Um, it's a good thing to do. We get our minds transformed. We ask God to change us. There's something, Stephen Fry. How much time do we have? Five more minutes? Okay. I'm going to just read this little bit out of this book because it is so powerful. Um, basically, he's talking about how the original um, rebellion of Lucifer, um, as we peel back the layers of time, we ultimately find an archangel by the name of Lucifer who decided to rebel against God. But Lucifer's act of defiance is not as one-dimensional as we f- might first suppose. There are a couple of things about this revolt that strike me. First, I don't know that Lucifer's sin was rebellion in the full sense of the word. He did not seek to replace God or overthrow God. He simply sought to act independent of God. That's huge. I think a lot of us have had the understanding that he was trying to out God. That's not the statement that he was making. He just wanted to exalt himself. Secondly, when he did rebel, he was in a relationship with God in which he was perfectly loved by God. Think about that. It was not a love deficit that he suggests there. I suggest that his action was not prompted by a love deficit. This leads me, Stephen Fry, I mean, to two corresponding conclusions. One, the root sin of all sins is this desire to act independent of God. And two, the root of all problems in the universe is not a love deficit, strictly speaking, but an authority breach. As Watchman Nee observes, to offend God's authority is a rebellion far more serious than that of offending God's holiness. The implications of this are a profound consequence. If the root of all misery, that's a great word, misery, goes back to this breach of authority, then understanding authority, how it is exercised, how we relate to it, is one of the most vital issues in life with which we will ever come to terms. Many assume that the root problem of the human race is a love deficit exhibited in fear-based relationships and low self-esteem. But if the root cause of our problems is an authority breach, then our views about how we minister to people and treat human need may be radically altered. He goes on so much more basically talking about the continuing cycle of therapy, the revolving door where you deal with issues over and over and over and over and over again. Emotional needs that never get met. Sins that never seem to go away. What is the root of it? Sometimes it may not just be a love deficit. We're, in, we're saturated right now, especially in the charismatic church, with a, the thought that God is just only good. And therefore, whatever I think is good must be what God wants. And anything that's not good, immediately apparent to my eyes, is not God. And that is so fundamentally wrong. We have heresy in the church. And it's time that we call it like it is. That is heresy. If you look at what God actually says about authority, how could you ignore the entire Bible and say that? There are things that God does that are fundamentally uncomfortable for us. But they're fundamentally important and good. This is what we have to come to grasp with. So, when we talk about healing, we talk about emotional needs, I have to say I want to see healing for all of us. I want to see healing en masse. But this is the kind of healing. It's only preceded by repentance. It's not preceded by you getting more of your needs met. It's not preceded by you having a perfect pastor. It's not. I'm passionate about that because I see the wounds that get inflicted on Daryl. I wasn't trying to make this personal. (laughs) I just can't believe it sometimes, how broken we are as people. This is not about me defending Daryl. It's really not. But I will say it's a passion of mine. (laughs) It's a deep value, if you have to say. Because I know that man better than you do. I've known him over a decade. This guy's made of gold. So is Bethany. There's places where you guys, we, we don't understand. We don't understand the nature of God. And we're operating not just a little bit outside the lines. God's here. And when we operate outside of authority and we don't understand it, we're over here. We don't even, we're not even on the same grid, guys. And as a result, 
We lash out at, at people that are put in our lives to help us. He, Hebrews 13. Yeah, probably, oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, okay, that's right. I, thank you, Jesus. I did say that. Great, grateful for my wife here. Um, keeping it all straight is really great. And preparing notes together as opposed to alone. But there's such a need for us to get healing here because we can't operate. How can we be a successful church without understanding this? If we're constantly operating in brokenness, how is this going to work, guys? It will not work. And how, you know, Amy could speak, elaborate on this more, but how can we ask God for revival when we are against a fundamental aspect of his nature? How does that work? That's never going to happen. We need a cultural shift, and it begins here, today. A lot of us are young. I look at a lot of faces here, younger than even I am, some of you. I, if I shave this beard, I'll look like Peter Pan, I tell you. It, it, it will be ugly. I just look really, I really look juvenile. But a lot of you are younger than me, and it is, you know, one of these things, like, our generation, this is, this is completely beset us. And it's time that we dealt with it. So, I really believe, we're, we're going to just kind of wrap this up here. We're not going to leave just yet. I want to invite us to take action with this. If you're being provoked today, it's time to do something about it. It's time for us to repent. Yes, Lord. And this is not a fire and brimstone message. I bet if I got into the word of God, it would be. <laughs> But this is just a simple message. You have a Father in Heaven who wants you to relate to Him like you should. That a thousand other issues in your life could get set in order. And that's so that you could be part of a global church, and especially a local church, that has a vision and a mission that won't be accomplished unless you're operating in right alignment with God. So I want to invite us. Um, is Nicole, Nicole still around? Where is she at? Do you mind playing like a piano or a pad or something for us. I want us to take a little bit of time here, come up to repent. Amy and I are going to be up here to pray for you. So this is, repentance is the first step for this. And then praying and trusting God is faithful to heal those wounds, guys. He's faithful to heal misunderstanding. Where you've been groping for your identity, God wants to change all of the mess and set things in order. And bring you into alignment with his character. Amen?